Uh, we're going to look in God's Word for a little while. And we're in uh, John's first letter back there toward the end of the New Testament. And John has been dealing with uh, teachers that are beginning to come into the church and uh, teach that which is not true. Now, you have to remember that the church is just in its formative stage. There's no Bible college. There's no books on theology. They're just learning what they have been taught, some of them directly from the, just the apostles who followed Jesus. And you have the apostle Paul, who uh, was greatly called by Jesus in a powerful way. And they are writing uh, the story of Jesus, especially in the gospel. And the church that John is writing to uh, may have parts of the gospel, but they don't even have the four gospels yet. They don't necessarily have the letters of, to the Philippians or to the Galatians. And so it's incredibly easy for somebody to come in and say, I have a special revelation of, for the, from the Lord. And the people would receive that. Because why not? We haven't heard that it's, it's any different. And so John is writing this letter to say, be very, very, very careful. If a, if a person comes to you and deviates from the truth that you have heard, uh, don't listen to them. In fact, in chapter 4 of uh, 1 John, where we are today, um, John calls the, the church to uh, test, to test the prophets. The, he calls them false prophets that are coming. Now, tests are important things. And if you've gone to school, you've taken tests. Um, way back in 1956, for some of you that was before the earth's crust hardened and it was way back when. It was the year after I was born. Um, they put together the President's Council on Physical Fitness. It was founded then, and it was promoting uh, good physical health among children. And President Kennedy... Uh, changed it a little bit in 1963 to include all people. And then in 1965, um, President Johnson established, or excuse me, in 1966, um, President Johnson established an award, a patch. And so I don't know if it was true in this neck of the woods, but this was very true for us in California that every year in the public schools, you had to go through the President's Council on Physical Fitness and they tested you. And if you met certain earmarks, um, you got a patch. You put it on your gym clothes, wore it proudly. Here's some of the things that you were tested upon. And this is back when I was, so I was about 11 when this was taking place. Back when I was, well, it's kind of like now, a little bit rounder than I am tall. So, um, the 50-yard dash. Remember the 50-yard dash? Couldn't do 100, but we can do 50. 
The 600-yard run, that was kind of like maybe a lap, I think. Maybe it was, I'm not sure how good it was. Then there was the standing broad jump. You had to stand here and see how far you could, you could jump. And then there were a little sextus here, but for the boys, there were pull-ups. And for the girls, there was the flexed arm hang. So you didn't have to, girls, you didn't have to pull yourself all the way up. You could just kind of hang there. I'll be honest with you, there were a lot more girls doing pull-ups than I could do the flexed arm hang. So um, that probably has changed. Then you had sit-ups and a shuttle run and a sit-and-reach type of thing for your uh, mobility. And then for some, there was the softball throw. You had to be able to throw that thing so far. It's kind of painful for me to say so, but I never passed the test. I have no patch. I didn't meet the, the mark that you were supposed to meet. In fact, there were probably more people absent from elementary school on that day than any other day of the year. Never passed the test. As followers of Jesus, there are tests that are put in front of us, things to test our right belief. We use that word orthodoxy that we talked about at the beginning of, of this series. The question for us today is, would we pass that test of orthodoxy? And John brings up just one area, and it's a test that's given to the false prophets that are coming, but it's also a test that the people in the church needed to be able to understand and to, and to voice. And that is the test of who Jesus is. John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, let me read for you uh, the first six verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, and those are the spirits that are coming in the voice of these false prophets, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John is telling the church here there are false prophets that are coming. And they are going to be proclaiming to you all sorts of things. What you should wear and what you should eat or not eat and and 
even probably worst of all, claiming that Jesus is, uh, really didn't come. He really didn't uh, come in the flesh. He was just a spirit. Or in some circles, they would say that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus at his baptism and left him in the garden. It wasn't the Spirit of God. It wasn't God who died on the cross for our sins, but just a simple man, a human like us. And so John says to his, to this church, he says, you need to test for the truth. Now, it would be easy for us to look at this and say, well, that was then, this is now. But I have met and read people who claim to be followers of Jesus but are not true to the scriptures. They say things that just don't hold up if you've read this book at all. And this book for us is more than just a textbook. It is the very word of God that gives us direction for our lives, yes, but also helps us to see who God is. I agree with those who have said that the Bible is a unified whole that points to Jesus. Everything in here from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation points to Jesus. Tells us about him. Tells us about great God's great faithfulness that we sang about. His steadfastness toward us. And so there were those that were coming and there are those in our world today that would stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but preach contrary. And if we don't know the scriptures well, if we don't know um, right teaching, it's easy for us to follow them. They've got a big church. They've written a stack of books. They're on television. So they must be right. God must be blessing them because look at all the people that show up. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. So here's the the test. The test is, if you hear these teachers, and this is what John is saying to his readers, he says, ask them, did Jesus come in the flesh? I mean, right here, right now, real flesh and bones. And notice what he says. He says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and that he is from God. So it's just not any Jesus born in the flesh, but the specific Jesus we're dealing with here who we call the Messiah, who was specifically sent by God. Not just a a spirit, not just something that came upon him and left him. Not something that he was just filled up with like a vessel. But he was fully God and fully man. 
And if you want to understand how, God, how Jesus could be fully God and fully man, you need to talk to Wes, and he will explain it to you. Now, the reality is nobody really can explain that. There's a song that we have sung, Manhood and... Um, anyway, I forgot it. Um, but it talks about manhood and deity. Oh, what a mystery. Manhood and deity. The one who is God. And we can't really understand it, but one of the tests for us is, is, do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in this world in, in body, in, in flesh? And those who were teaching the falsehood that John is referring to didn't believe that. And John says to his, to his readers, if they don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, don't believe another word from them. They have failed the test. The Bible, late Bible theologian John Stott on this passage wrote, by this acknowledgement that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, by this acknowledgement is meant not merely a recognition of his identity, but a profession of faith in him openly and boldly as the incarnate Lord. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I read that and yeah, it could be true. But you are making a declaration of who Jesus is, that he is not just like any other person. So, if we are going to um, proclaim and uh, align ourselves with the gospel teaching, the teaching that Jesus showed in his life and that the apostles, uh, Apostles proclaimed. We need to further understand the truth about the incarnation. You see, the incarnation of Jesus, when spirit and flesh came, when God came down to earth and uh, Jesus and, and Mary, excuse me, was... Uh, touched by the Holy Spirit, and this child was formed in her. As the angel said, he will be completely holy. He will be like no other. But he will be born into this world, just like we were all born into this world. The incarnation, though, is where eternity and time intersect. Where the creator mingles with the creature. They are conjoined. They are, he is, excuse me, he is uh, fully God and fully man. This one we worship. This one who died on the cross for us and who we trust. And the Bible gives us some proofs to Christ's humanity. Let me just share a few of them. With you. In Luke chapter 1 and 2, Luke describes the announcement of his conception about his birth and 
infancy and childhood, that Jesus was born into the world in that stable. He looks at his infancy and he says, he was really there, he was really human, he cried real tears like a little baby. He had to be fed. The Gospel of John, the one who was writing this letter, says that Jesus experienced um, weariness, experienced hunger when he was in the desert and the wilderness for 40 days. It says that he spent time of it there and he fasted. And at the end of that passage in John, he says, um, and he was hungry. Ever fasted 40 days? I fast like half a day and I am hungry. There was a time a number of years ago that I felt led of the Lord to fast for an extended period of time and made my wife very fearful because she said, when you don't eat, you get really ugly. <laughs> and I didn't. Um, I think that was the work of the, of the Lord. But, God, but Jesus experienced um, weariness and hunger. In John chapter 11, he experienced human emotions, emotions like we do. He, when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept with uh, mourners, with his sisters. Jesus experienced um, real human emotions. And if we look at Jesus in the garden, he experiences not just um, human emotion, but in that deep, deep sorrow. He, the scriptures make, make it clear that he just didn't fall to the ground, but the force of that, those words are that he continued to fall to the ground. He was so sorrowful, he could not even stand up. He was broken. He cried out to his father, who he had been with from eternity. Father, there's another way. Let's figure it out. But he had deep sorrow over his own death. Like us as humans, we have friends. And he had friends gathered around him. He had those 12 apostles that followed him. He kind of had that inner circle of uh, Peter, James, and John that he did uh, special things with. There was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had friends just like you and I have friends. He needed friends. If he was fully God but not fully man, he wouldn't need friends. He'd be all self-sufficient. But he was fully God and fully man. He had need for friends. It's interesting that as a human, we um, need to trust in God the Father. And Jesus said, I trust in God the Father. I don't do this of my own will. I do this of the Father's will. And he would spend long times in prayer with his father to make sure that everything is going in the right direction. Just like we do. He, as we alluded to before about his hunger, uh, he suffered temptation. Satan came and sought to tempt him, to move him toward sin. 
It's important for us to remember that Jesus used the very word of God that we have to fight Satan. I suppose, being fully God and fully man, uh, he could have just, you know, sent him back where he came from. But he was human too. But as a human, he knew the scriptures that he had memorized as a little child. I wonder if you ever, like when they were quoting the Old Testament in the synagogue and Jesus goes, I wrote that. But, you know, I just think about those things from certain times. He was murdered. He really died. He was dead. They thrust the spear in his side. He was buried because he was dead, really buried. Stone rolled over the doorway of the tomb. But the good news is that we come to, and in John chapters 20 and 21, is that Jesus rose from the dead, and the scriptures make it clear he rose physically from the dead. Jesus tells his father, tells Mary, don't hang on me. I'm the real thing. He says to Thomas, put your hand in my side. Look at my hands here. Touch this. I am not a ghost. Though he is a little different at that point because he kept showing up. Just popped into the room. But he was buried and he rose physically. His body was gone and people saw him for 40 days. Lots of people. He ate with them, walked with them, talked with them. He was real flesh and blood, even in his resurrected body. And the scriptures tell us, the writer of Hebrews tells us that because Jesus suffered all of these things, he knows how to relate to us. When we fall on our knees before God and say, "Um, God, this is happening to me. My heart is broken. Jesus says to us, I I know that feeling. We fall on our knees before God and say, I hurt, physically hurt today. Jesus says to us, "I, I know that feeling. We cry out to God and say, I am lonely. Jesus can say, I understand Loneliness. We can cry out to God and say, God, I am a sinner. And Jesus says, never been there, which is good news. Because of being perfect, man without sin, he became the perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. The one who was fully man and fully God died on the cross for us and he bore upon himself the Sins of the world, your sin, my sin. He was the perfect, unblemished lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus really came in flesh and blood. He really is the son of God. He is uh, one with God and yet has that complete humanity. He was incarnate, he, spirit and flesh. 
one. Indivisible. You couldn't cut him and say, well, there's a spirit part over here. Here's a flesh part over here. It was all commingled. I don't understand it. I, it's way beyond my pay grade to understand that. But I hold to it to be true. Why? Because God's men wrote that it's true. And we believe that this scripture is God-breathed. It is the word of God for us. It moves in our lives and teaches us truth. And John gets to the end here and he says, by all of this, when you test them and find out where they are, do they uh, pass the test or fail? We will know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John referring to in verse 6, he says, we, he is... Um, I really believe he's referring to him and the other apostles, those who had seen Jesus. That's what he says back in um, chapter 1. The letter starts that way. And he says, we are from God. Whoever listens to us, that is, holds the truth of the scriptures. They listen to us. And whoever does not from God does not Listen to us. As we move into um, Thanksgiving this Thursday, I want to encourage you that as you sit around the table or meet in your living rooms, that you take time to give thanks. And one thing to give thanks for is the incarnation of Christ. Jesus hadn't come, if Jesus hadn't died, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, we wouldn't have much to be thankful for. But in the incarnation, we have everything to be thankful for. So take time on Thursday, probably take time every day, but I'll give you Thursday, Gather with the family and friends and thank God for the incarnation. And of course, Advent starts next Sunday. Christmas season is here, friends. But the Advent that we celebrate, that word meaning someone who is unique and special who is coming... When we celebrate the Advent, we are uh, most of all celebrating the incarnation of Christ, the incarnation of God. That's what Christmas is all about. So let's think about that through the Advent season as well. Be thankful for it, thankful that he came, and thankful as the scriptures talk about his second coming, his second Advent when he will descend and every eye will see him. Not a ghost, but Jesus. Let's pray. We 
hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.